Welcome to the Big Mike Fun Podcast, where you learn about advanced wealth building strategies from real estate investing to creating massive ROI and secure retirement profits. So pour yourself a cup of coffee, grab a notepad, and lean in. Because Big Mike has got the life starting now. Welcome to the Big Mike Fun Podcast. I'm the Big Mike. Mike Zlatnik. And today it is my pleasure and a privilege to welcome Ray Mazzi. Am I pronouncing your name correctly, Ray? Yeah, well done. Okay. <laughs> so, Ray, thank you for coming on the podcast. Uh, you were introduced by a mutual friend. And Ray is a managing director at the Southern Waters Capital, based in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. And he focuses his time and energy on sourcing deals. Um, Ray has graduated from the Florida State University, has an MBA, as well as a dual degree in economics, political science. He's a licensed attorney in Florida. And he was a former gubernatorial fellow uh, for Governor Rick Scott. Um, Welcome to the show. Yeah, no, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Tell us a little bit about Ray. Your family, kids, cats, pets, whatever yeah. works for you. Yeah, no, not uh, not much to the to me, but I'm um, so not married. Uh, I do have a lovely, lovely dog, uh, Molly. I've had her. She's almost 11 now, which is kind of crazy. Kind of marks helps remind me how old and uh, old and young I am. So I got her when I was a freshman in college, but. Um, you know, so it's been a, been a little while since then, but obviously most of the people I deal with in this business have, have put in a few years past me. So they call me young and, uh, I feel old every time I look at my dog, but <laughs> other, other than that, you know, honestly, real estate's the thing that I love most uh, to do. I, you know, I guess I would say I love to ski as well, but, um, as far as hobbies, you know, uh, I find what I do to be the most fun uh, thing that I can be using my time on. So it's honestly look, looking for real estate. And if I'm not doing that, I'm usually spending time talking about it with friends and uh, friends and business partners. Very cool. Uh, so you have a passion for real estate. Well, let's jump straight into um, what is Southwest, sorry, Southern Waters Capital Investing. Yeah, uh, yeah. So um, basically you can consider us at this point, uh, land developers uh, who also partner up with other private equity shops or, or large developers to, to then take projects vertical. But um, we're happy to get in get into projects a lot earlier than most people are. Um, we're happy to take on entitlement risk and things of that nature. Me and my business partner are attorneys by education. We certainly have no business practicing law, but uh, we're, we know enough to be dangerous, as they say, when it comes to entitlements and and uh, positioning parcels for for future development, and um, you know, in addition to that, you, you mentioned you know we do lending and things of that nature. We actually used to do that. Most of the we haven't put out any loans or anything like that in a while. What we started out as a um, a credit strategy. We were investing in securities um, in the beginning, and then we click quickly learned there's a lot of value capture that can be or a lot of value that can be captured when you. Um, are essentially arbitraging, you know, Main Street sellers with, with Wall Street buyers, um, enforcing appreciation through entitlements and um, positioning deals or positioning projects and sites for um, for future deals with much larger firms, you know, that have a bigger vision. So we noticed that and uh, we quickly shifted our firm from uh, securities investing to pretty much solely um, real estate development now. We're just over, just over 1,700 units in our past two and a half years of um, of running at this, it's been a pretty quick growth, but at the same time, you know, 
we're excited about what's to come. We definitely have a lot more work to do. Well, that's a lot of growth. Growth, seventeen hundred units in a few years. That's a lot of growth. And uh, we're recording this in late February, twenty twenty-three. So I'm just curious, how is your strategy changing, given where the market is going? It seems to be. Well, we've seen fast and furious interest rate increases, which obviously impact development substantially. Cost of capital, obviously cap rates. Just curious, what are you seeing um, in your Florida, which is <laughs> recession in Florida? People are saying it's not possible nowadays. Everybody's moving to Florida. So from that perspective, yeah, it's definitely possible. Yeah, no, not to cut you short, but I think I know where we're going with this. Uh, it, it's definitely a more, we'll give it the credit that Florida is a more resilient market as of today. Um, we can't say that that's going to be the case going into the future. I like to believe it is. I'm an internal optimist. You know, you have to be as a developer, but at the same time, my business partner is a, a you know, 30-year veteran of Wall Street. He was on the bond trading side, so, you know, nothing can get past par for him. So he's a, he's a optimistically pessimistic, if you will. He knows he knows not to get too excited about anything uh, good or bad. Uh, but to answer your question directly, what have we done to change our strategy? Absolutely nothing. We've always been a firm basically focused on basis and location. And I think the only places of shelter in today's market right now are having a strong basis, having a good location, and honestly, having a really strong balance sheet. Um, those are the three things that are going to protect you in volatile markets, especially like the ones we're um, experiencing now. And, you know, if you have staying power and you get into an asset at a great price and you believe in the location and maybe now, maybe right now is not the best time to build, but maybe 6, 12, 18, 24 months down the road might be a better time to build. And you just have to make sure that you're putting your projects in a position where they won't be squeezed over time. Um, and usually, you know, I don't like to make the pitch that, you know, you should bet on appreciation and, and inflation and all that. But, you know, if you buy your land at a good price and you wait two or three years, it's, it's usually a pretty, pretty rare scenario, especially in the state of Florida, where you, you go back to the market and your land is worth significantly less. Now, if you're an as-state buyer and you came in way too high in the first place, you know, you're stuck in a different position than my firm is. Um, and essentially, that's, that's what we do and what we focus on in our strategy has always been... Uh, focus on rental housing. We're product type agnostic. We'll bang, we'll we'll build, you know, build to rent, whether that's casitas, cottages, attached townhomes, detached, single family. Um, we'll do multifamily, whether it's low rise, garden style, mid rise, or urban. Uh, really, for us, it's it's yield on cost, unit economics, and risk, and um, just making sure that we're putting together a project that we think is, uh, you know, putting putting a square peg in a square. Um, square hole, not not putting a square peg in a round hole, and uh, that's just kind of how we approach development and approach our business. Yeah, I appreciate that color, and it makes sense. You, you it's a you're investing on a fun, fundamental basis, and uh, you mentioned a couple of great great points on the staying power, uh, especially when when there's uncertainty in today's environment. But if you if you bought right for sure, um, the assets have long term value, but um, are you buying mostly your Fort Lauderdale? Is it mostly Miami projects or are you actually going into other areas? Built around, I've heard, I have actually a good friend whose company was just acquired and they do a lot of built around um, uh, in uh, in Florida, actually, northern part of Florida. Yeah. But um, what's 
what's amazing, that strategy works, but he's not in Miami area. He's in Jacksonville and they, they are in Akala. They, they've done a number of other sub-markets. So i just curious, where are you doing your projects? Are they um, Miami area or the central Florida, northern Florida? Yeah, well, like I mentioned, we're, we're happy to do different types of uh, products. So when it comes to our garden style and our build to rent, like you alluded to, it actually is in what we call the, you know, the golden triangle of Florida. But yeah, we're in Ocala, Wildwood, Cocoa, areas like that, where you have fundamental imbalances and supply and demand with strong history of rent growth in the past five years. And, um, you know, job growth is strong as well. Schools are good, if not good, then then decent, you know, no C schools or anything like that, but high B's and A's. And um, yeah, it's all the traditional things. So yeah, our, our less dense, more suburban product is ju- is definitely not happening down here in Southeast Florida. Now I'm sure there's people listening who are working on stuff in Southeast Florida and I'm sure it's possible and all that. But to us, we just think the most value is in Central Florida right now. Uh, really kind of from Ocala, south to like the top of Lake Okeechobee, that kind of band. Um, now I'm sure again, there's people who love Southwest Florida, people who love Southeast Florida, people who love Northeast Florida, you know, and I think all those markets are great and all those markets can actually, you know, support good projects. I just think it's a lot easier to operate in the central Florida area based off of um, basically connectivity, job growth, um, supply constraints and, and we think pricing on land is just much more advantageous there. And at the end of the day, that you know, the only two things you can't change are where your project is and what you originally paid for it. Um, so we just make sure that we're putting ourselves in a position where we have the most room to make mistakes, to be completely honest with you. And that's why you buy, buy dirt at a good price. And um, anyway, long way of saying, you're right, the, the best build to rent markets, or in my opinion, the best build to rent markets and suburban garden style markets or low rise markets are those um, you know, tertiary, secondary, uh, Orlando markets or tertiary, secondary Tampa markets, um, all the way over to, to Daytona and stuff like that. Although I haven't, haven't found a good project over there yet. I, I see a lot of potential on the East coast. Yeah. That's a great explanation. Really appreciate it. I guess it's an I4 uh, corridor, right? That, that, that corridor. Yeah. I don't say the reason I don't say that is because technically people like know Orlando, for, you know, if people don't know Orlando, that everything's in Orlando. Like if you actually don't, because Orlando is a massive city. If you look at it on a map, it, I mean, then a city in air quotes. Like if you look at the Orlando Economic Partnership, which is like the the development corporation, not profit that sits over a lot of Orlando's growth. Like it's just a huge area, a massive area. Whenever you say the I-4 corridor, corridor you know, if you went 25 miles north and 25 miles south, you'd be missing so much of what I'm talking about. So that's why I like to widen that band. But you're totally right. It is to us, it's the I-4 corridor. And you know what we know what we're talking about when it comes to that. But I feel like if I don't explain that I'm willing to go up to Ocala and down to Lake O, then people don't realize how, you know, how how much more landmass there is to take advantage of. But not to correct you, I just want to make sure that people know. The I-4 quarter is too skinny, in my opinion. It needs to be a much much yeah, bigger belt. I-4 belt. <laughs> yeah, I really appreciate the clarification. It makes a lot of sense. And uh, again, Florida is seeing a lot of inbound migration. Not everybody is moving to Miami or Tampa. Uh, there's a lot of job creation in sort of the wide I-4 corridor, as you said. You're trying to build where the jobs are going, where folks are moving in. So that perspective makes a lot of Just sense. Keep it- 
I mean, we keep it super simple here. I mean, it, we like um, when it comes to location and everything, it's just looking at the main veins of Florida, right? Like we said, I-4, look at I-75, look at the turnpike, look at all the expressways, follow the bright line. You know, it's it's things like that that are just natural paths of growth. You simply, you know, you, you need that type of infrastructure for a big deal to happen. You can't be going down a two-lane road or anything like that. Yeah, and this still makes sense. Transportation is a critical component in, 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 in any path of progress, per se. So um, how do folks, do you have a fund? How folks invest with you in this strategy? I'm just curious, uh, is it uh, something that you have private investors, you have a fund? Um, it's obviously at this point, you know, a little turbulent times, but uh, land investing has been fundamental uh, part of the American dream. So... Yeah, we just, um, so a little bit of both. We we just actually got our first public-private partnership that we'll be announcing soon. Um, I assume by the time this is launched, it'll, we'll have already announced it, but either way, that'll be probably the first opportunity for the public to invest in our deals. Um, and I say public, you know, the general public, people that we're uh, maybe not as, not as uh, close to. Otherwise, we really pursue our projects in a more, uh, you know, bespoke way, as as brokers would say. But but what we do is pursue the projects with our own capital um, to get them positioned. And then once they're positioned, we usually get together with a private equity group or a family office group or a developer that's large enough to um, large enough to essentially take on the project without any partners if they had to. So really, it's instead of having I won't say they're institutional investors, but they're institutional quality. Um, with more of a family office feel and they're more JV partners. So we bring those uh, those groups on and then we'll together either go to the LP markets or um, fund the deal in a different manner internally. But that's how that's how we approach it. And um, yeah, so the short answer is retail, high net worth or public money hasn't really been something we've tapped into. Uh, we, we know that this is a great market. There's tons of tons of capital out there. And um, anyway, it's just a different type of investor. And it's somebody that we want to, we want to get more acquainted with. We just want to make sure that we're, we're prepared for that. in you know, just a back office manner, just handling that many people, as opposed to having one or two groups, you know, having 10, 15, 20, 30, who knows more investors, you want to be able to make sure you can appropriately and adequately answer all their questions and, and, and all that. And anyway, um, it's a long way of saying no to retail at the moment, but I think the opportunity to do so will open up shortly, and we're going to look for we're looking forward to doing it in the right way. Yeah, Ryan, I appreciate that. Fewer bigger checks, more programmatic sources of capital is a lot easier to deal with than um, trying to deal with retail investors. So, no argument with that at all. It is a <laughs> you just want to do your your, your business. You want to do you do what you do, and get the capital available when you need it, and it makes sense that you actually do the land acquisitions with your own capital. I assume you, t- you take it through the entitlement process, uh, and then you you when you when you're about to go vertical, that's when you you look for uh, for capital. Yeah, yeah, definitely. We do. We'll do it a little differently from a lot of groups. Some people like to bring sites to shovel ready. I. Um, don't want to give away any secret sauce, but to me, it seems to be, it seems to be a little dangerous. Honestly, it gives the potential investor to 
the opportunity to beat up your site design and then eventually your purchase price. So, um, or their investment purchase price, I, I should say. But so anyway, we get things to what I call site plan ready instead of shovel ready. I basically bring a blank canvas to my JV partner and we say, hey, let's let's paint something together and um, we'll pursue it together from there. So that's how that's how we do it. But yeah, the entitlement risk at that point is next to nil. So long as you've done your DD the right way and you have all the technical suitability, like capacity and concurrency and all those types of things. Um, you know, what I say is once the votes are out of the way, you know what I mean? And you know what you're doing and you have good engineers and architects, you, you should know what's going on on that site. Um, so that's it. That's, that's how we do it. But, but yeah, it's, it, it, I think it's worked out a lot better that way as opposed to trying to bring some shovel ready site to somebody um, and demanding that they build what you designed. Yeah, I got you. So um, what do you see strategically multi-year vision? Is this built to rent strategy, um, garden style apartment complexes, uh, going to continue to uh, grow at a strong pace in, in Florida? And by the way, do you do only Florida or you, you go outside of Florida? We'll go everywhere um, in the Sun Belt. I don't invest in California or New York um, or any really, really political states that might turn off my revenue stream. I mean, I don't want to get political, but it's just, it's dangerous. And I couldn't imagine if I woke up one day and not only was the economy in bad shape, but somebody said I'm not allowed to collect my collect my sales revenue or anything like that. It's just, it's insane. So we stay out of those states, but um, I love Chattanooga. I love Tennessee. I love Florida. Um, I love the mid-Atlantic, but anyway, do I see longevity in this space? Sure. I mean, it's already existed. All, all what's happening now is that Wall Street's putting a nice bow on it and packaging it so it can fit inside fund mandates and they can push cap rates down and it's good for everybody in the business, but um, single family rentals have always been a thing. Now they're just trying to make them more efficient and deliver it as a thoughtful product instead of a um, side hustle by the average entrepreneur or, or investor. And um, I think it's going to evolve over time. I work, you know, it's really funny. Usually the larger the group, but the more capital, the more visionary they speak and they'll say things like they're making an experiential um, community that's supposed to bring people together and it's all true and it's so well thought out and everything's beautiful and thoughtful. And then you have, you know, other individuals who are more merchant builders that are scrappy and pulling things together. So my point is, I think over time, there's going to be different types of communities out there from the, uh, from the curb, they'll look the same maybe, but from the tenant's perspective and, and their shoes, they'll look much different and feel much different. The experience will be much different. So I think the exact form that plays out as being the, the best version of build to rent um, is to be determined. And I'm not going to ever get caught uh, trying to make that type of prediction. But I will say that I think the asset class overall is certainly sustainable, certainly something that's going to continue on into the future. Um, I'm hoping that my favorite product is the catches on over time, which seems to um, not fit in Wall Street's eyes just yet because it doesn't fit in the mandate perfectly but mixed product i love having townhomes or cottages and low-rise um communities in the same or sorry low-rise buildings in the same communities that way you can kind of capture the tenant as they maybe grow throughout their career um and the life cycle of the tenant instead of having them for like one to three years maybe having three to five and they 
you know, start off in the the studio, they end up in the two, two, and then they eventually go to the town home. And then they, maybe if you're a big enough developer, you sell them their first home too, in another community in the same area. So, um, you know, I, I love mixed product because the yield is there. I think the, the absorption risk is, is lower because you have a differentiator when you're looking at other communities next to you. Um, but anyway, long, long-winded answer saying, yeah, I definitely think that the asset class will move forward and, and be sustainable. Um, do I know what form or what's going to be, you know, considered standard in five, six, seven years uh, for this asset class? Not, not yet. Um, and I just hope that people remain creative and keep providing cool opportunities to, um, to have some nuanced changes within the communities, such as like mixed product um, or other types of amenities. Yeah, I appreciate that caller. Uh, most developers do sort of um, single type, maybe a little, little bit of variance, but not what, what, what you just mentioned, simply because uh, it's a lot less expensive to build. It's, it's, uh, it's easier to execute in the short term, but on the long run, your strategy might have unique benefits that, um, that, that, you 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 have in your vision, and some other folks might might be a little short sighted. But it's it's a very cool idea to develop different mixed sort of. I guess uh, somebody as a starter, then upgrade, and then potentially move up at some as they as they they. Need right on the, uh, it's it's amazing on the entitlement side too. If you have you know, I have a site where one one side of the of the plot is you know abutting a residential neighborhood that's worried about height and all these other classic nimby issues and you just tell them hey you know we're going to have townhomes along that entire border so to you it's going to look like a community just like your own um not that i buy into the fact that you know their property value would be damaged or anything else like that but my point is, is you can sometimes satisfy the nimbyism through a little bit of creativity. And if you build right, you can actually fetch a higher yield on those. And if you do it, you know, really well, you'll, you'll catch a wider demographic in your tenant base. And, you know, it's overall accretive if you can get the capital to understand the idea and uh, not be so rigid. And that's why I ended up, well, that's why I end up usually working with more family offices or, or mid-market private equity or, or developers who have a large balance sheet because they understand the deal for the the unit economics and um, you know they look at it as a long term play with the ability to exit if they wanted to along the way. Makes sense. So, what's a typical exit strategy? Again, when the rates were low, a, a lot of refis were part of the equation. Re- refi was sort of a, a standard procedure, but in this environment, things are a little different. Is this typically built and then? Uh, sell or uh, do you recapitalize the pull and completion? Just curious, kind of what do you do with step two once you complete the project? Yeah, it's definitely market dependent. We underwrite everything for a 10-year hold in case we get stuck holding the baby. And we usually end up looking at an exit somewhere between five and seven years. Um, but the, lately you've been seeing, I've been seeing them kind of be pushed forward just because that would be the only way to capture a strong IRR, but at the same time, in that same underwriting process, we'll look at it pushed, you know, as a quick sale. But at the same time, we're like, you know, if you don't sell in that period, then you're basically holding it for seven years. So it's almost like that tweener isn't really the best uh, return right now. 
return, um, uh, what's it called? Return metrics right now, but we, we really underwrite things for a long-term hold. And then if we can exit early, we will. Um, I think those are just the best type of partners to have. Cause like I said, in the beginning of this, you need to have staying power. You need to have the ability to believe in the market. And we're not in major MSAs. Um, we're looking at major MSAs. We just think that the value is not there right now. Uh, but, uh, anyway, my point is that when you're in major MSAs, people are happy to merchant build, happy to flip in and out. Uh, they're not necessarily focused on holding forever. Whereas in our markets, it's more of a, you know, you become a part of that community and you can maybe even buy up some more assets and have a substantial um, position in a community and really, really force appreciation over time. Yeah. Thank you for that uh, color as well. Uh, it's funny what you said, you either flip or you refine, you keep for a substantial amount of time. Cause you gotta, you gotta go through that whole exercise that prepared to hold it. So it's, it's, it's almost not necessarily binary, but if you're going to go through the hassle of actually preparing for long-term hold, you have that refi cost and the effort and uh, flip at that point doesn't make sense. So you had to flip immediately or you just get, you know, tighten the belt and you kind of sit long on the project long enough where uh, the value, uh, I guess the, at least the market selection has been very strong. If these markets just appreciate uh, naturally over the upcoming you know, five, 10 years, then that long-term play makes, makes better sense. Yeah. And, and honestly, you know, it's all case specific and you're watching the, the asset, right? you got to be a good asset manager. So, you know, if we achieve double the rent growth, we thought we would have, maybe we do sell in year four and a half, whatever. I mean, you know what I mean? I just, I can't get married. I get married to a market. You can't really get married to an asset within that market. I think you have to believe in the market itself and then understand what fits there best. And sometimes what you built may not fit in seven, eight years. And I don't even know what that's like because I haven't been in business that long. But my point is, is I couldn't imagine me doing something, anything, doing something eight or nine years ago. And then today demanding and, and doing my best to make sure that I stick to whatever I thought was going to happen eight or nine years ago or, or five or six years ago. It just, it just isn't very pragmatic or practical in my opinion. So providing yourself. And that's really what I do from the beginning by buying land before it's entitled. Providing myself with ultimate optionality is really key to being successful and just making sure that, you know, we take, we take the, the route with either the least risk and the highest returns or the right, you know, the right recipe of risk versus reward. Um, and that's how we, that's how we pursue every deal. Yeah, that's, that's a great philosophy. Uh, and and there is no, as, as you said, there is no perfect timing to sell. But if if the price is right, uh, it, it kind of makes a lot of sense to move the asset. Anyway, appreciate all your wisdom. Thank you kindly for coming on the podcast. Uh, if folks wanted to get a hold of you, what's the best way to reach out? Yeah, um, my all my information is on my website, but just go email me at ray at southernwaterscapital.com. Um, and yeah, looking forward to hearing from anybody. Thank you, Kyle. Appreciate your wisdom and thanks for, thanks again for being a guest on the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Big Mike Fun Podcast. To receive your copy of Mike's How to Choose a Smart Real Estate Fun Book, head to BigMikeFun.com or visit Amazon and type Mike's slot name. Keep listening and keep investing Big Mike style. See you on the next episode.